0: Good morning. It's good to see you today. We're grateful for your presence. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 10 in just a moment, verses 12 and 13, the passage that Nick read for us a moment ago. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. We're very grateful for your presence if you're visiting. We always want you to know that we're so happy to have you. We want you to come back. If you are looking for a church home, we would love to have you consider the work here. We would be honored if you'd come and be a part of our work. And it's our work together. So we'd love to have you as part of our family here. I want to talk today for just a minute or two about keys to success. If I were to ask you today, do you want to be a success? I doubt anyone would respond in the negative. All of us want to be successful, and rightfully so. No one likes to lose. No one one wants to fail. And yet, when you look at the scriptures, what God is saying is that if you will listen to me and follow my word, you will be a success. I want you to look with me today at Deuteronomy chapter 10. God's people have yet to advance into the promised land. And so God is writing, or rather God is speaking to Moses. And Moses is obviously writing to the people or writing to people of all ages. And Moses is setting forth some keys on behalf of God to the success of the nation of Israel. And I'm convinced that what God was saying to the children of Israel was simply this, if you'll do what I say, you'll be blessed. And I think what God is saying to us today in the 21st century is that if we will honor his word and listen to him, that he will bless us and that we will be successful in life. And there are really three keys to success laid down by God through Moses, The first, they were to fear the Lord. Secondly, they were to demonstrate fondness for the Lord. And then thirdly, they were to be faithful to the Lord. So think with me for a moment or two about these points. Let's begin by talking about the importance of fearing the Lord. Listen again to what Moses said to the children of Israel Beginning in verse 12 And now Israel What does the Lord your God require of you But to fear the Lord your God To walk in all his ways To love him To serve the Lord your God With all your heart And with all your soul And to keep the commandments of the Lord And his statutes Which I commend you today For your good So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, in a very simplistic way, to respect Him, to reverence His will, His ways. And I think what God was saying to the children of Israel, first and foremost, they needed to stand in awe of God. Why should they Stand in awe of God. Two reasons. Number one, because of his goodness. And number two, because of his graciousness. Note if you would, beginning in verse, well look at verse 12 again. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him with all your heart, soul, and mind? And then, note if you would, down in verse 17. The goodness of God and the importance of standing in awe, fearing Him, His goodness. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger giving him food and clothing. And then drop down if you would and look at verse 20. He said, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. So when you think about the goodness and graciousness of God, God was their benefactor. He had been so good and gracious to them. He had cared for them. He had delivered them out of the land of Egypt. God had allowed the children of Israel to settle in the land of Goshen during the lifetime of Joseph and Jacob. And out of 70 people, they grew to become a mighty nation of people. And God would talk about how with an outstretched arm, he delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. And so God's simply saying, look, if you want to be successful in your journey called life, first, you need to stand in awe. And then secondly, they needed to stand in awareness of God. Let me ask this question today. We talk about the goodness and graciousness of God and standing in awe of Him. But are we standing in awareness of all that He has done? Are we aware of His goodness, His graciousness? Are we aware of His passion for us? Look at verse 15. Moses said, The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them And he chose their descendants after them above all peoples as it is this day. Back in chapter 7, God reminded the children of Israel of how much he loved them. And you think about standing in awareness of God, reflecting on the fact that God genuinely loves us. God would say to the children of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Did you know that God loves you? And we stand in awe of Him. We stand in awareness of Him because of His love, the depth of His love. The Bible says God is love. And God has showered His love upon those of us today. You can go back and look at the Old Testament and see how God nurtured and cared for the children of Israel and how He loved them. And God loves us today. So we stand in awareness of God for his passion and then what about his power? In verse 14, Moses said, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also, he said, the earth with all that is in it. Over in chapter 11, he reminds the children of Israel of all that he had done on their behalf demonstrating his tremendous power. For example, look at verse, in verse 2, he said, Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, his signs and acts which he did in the midst of Egypt, the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land. What he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, their chariots, How he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you. And how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. God's power. Well known to the children of Israel. And you and I today, we stand back and we look at the power of God. His creative abilities. His redemptive abilities. His sustaining abilities. And then... They were to stand in awareness of God not just for his passion, his power but also his provisions. Again down in verse down in verse 17 Moses said of God he shows no partiality. He doesn't take bribes but rather he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves a stranger. He gives him food and clothing. God is the benefactor of mankind, And I think about the benevolence of a God who demonstrates his care on a daily basis. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. So you think about all the tremendous provisions that we enjoy. You know, James said every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above. Now there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First... First, Moses said, you need to fear the Lord. Secondly, they needed to have fondness for the Lord. In other words, they needed to love Him. They needed to love the Lord supremely. Did you know that God wants us to love Him? Think for a minute about the relationships that we sustain here on planet Earth. As a parent... Don't we want our children to love us? It would be unnatural for our children to not love us. It would be unnatural for us as a parent to not love our child. And what God is saying to the children of Israel is this, I want your love. Listen again to what he says in verse 12. What is it that God requires of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to love him? How much do you love God? Do you really love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind? Do you love him supremely? Because that's what what Moses is saying. You need to love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Why? Because God wants you to love him. He wants your love. He relishes your love. He delights in your love. Not only does God want our love, but I would suggest he is worthy of our love mentioned a moment ago in 1 John chapter 4. John said, speaking of God, God is love. And his love has been made abundantly clear over and over again in the scriptures. So many passages of scripture underscoring the tremendous love of God. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. The golden text of the Bible. Is God worthy of our love? Listen to what John said in 1 John 4, verse 19. He said... We love him, why? Because he first loved us. And I think what God through Moses was saying to the children of Israel is this. Number one, I want your love. And number two, I'm worthy of your love. Why? Because of all that, think about everything God did for the children of Israel. Now you step back and think about everything that God through Christ has done for us. And then pick up Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. When Paul said, but God, who is rich in mercy for the great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ, he said, by grace are you saved. God loved us when we were unlovable. God loves us despite our sins, despite our shortcomings, despite what we might think. There are a lot of people in our world today that have yet to come to an understanding of the fact that God is love and that God desires our supreme love. You remember in Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus basically summed up the law? He said, you're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. He said, this is the first and great commandment, to love God. To love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, with our being. Why? Because he's worthy of that love. God is worthy of our love. So God wants, he wants us to love him supremely, but also he wants us to love him selflessly. When I think about God wanting his people to love him selflessly, I'm reminded of the fact that there is this call to serve. There is the call to sacrifice. Listen again to what Moses said. And now, Israel, what is it the Lord your God requires of you? To fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him. And then listen to what he says to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you love God? To the point that laboring in his kingdom is a labor of love. You remember when the Hebrew writer wrote to those first century Christians? Some of those Christians had come out of Judaism. Some were on the verge of going back to the old law. Some had already gone back to the old law. And so the Hebrew writer is encouraging them to stay with Christ, to stay with the new covenant. And he talked about their work and labor of love. When you love God supremely, when he occupies that preeminent role in your life, when he becomes the focal point, the hub of everything in life, it's a joy to serve him. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. We ought to be glad to serve the Lord. And what God is saying to the children of Israel through Moses is, look, I want your love. I want you to love me and I want you to serve me with all of your heart, soul, and might. Give me your best. And the return, abundant blessings. Now there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is, faithfulness to the Lord. Again, verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commend you today for your good. First, I want to suggest Faithfulness is the key to prosperity. Faithfulness is the key to prosperity. Now, a couple of things here. Faithfulness requires submission to the Lord, doesn't it? In other words, faithfulness demands that we relegate our will to the will of God. That we are willing to subjugate ourselves to God, to make Him the Lord of our life, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And here's what I want you to see when we submit to the Lord, then we enjoy satisfaction in the Lord. Now, let me just read for you, read with you some passages. Look over in chapter 11 In chapter 11 Listen to what God says To the children of Israel And note how he attaches Their submission to his will To their satisfaction In life He said Therefore you shall keep every commandment Which I command you today that You may be strong And go in and possess the land Which you cross over to possess and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares, The eyes of the Lord your God, he said, are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And he said, It shall be that if you diligently obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, your oil. And I'll send grass in your fields for your livestock. You may eat and be filled. Or be satisfied. Now look at verse 16. He said, Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. And he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. What's God saying? the simplest way I know he's saying look you submit to my ways you live for me you love me with all of your heart soul and mind you subjugate your will to my will your ways to my ways and what will I do I will bless you abundantly I will prosper you now you think about people today? Do people in our world today want to be prosperous? Do they want to be successful? The answer is yes, isn't it? You know why a lot of people fail in life? Why a lot of people in our world today are miserable, discontent, dissatisfied, unhappy? It's because they've tried the ways of the world. They keep over and over and over again doing the same thing, looking for different results, and the bottom line is They're looking in all the wrong places. They're doing all the wrong things. And we get asked the question, how's it working out for you? And you know the answer. When God called upon a man by the name of Joshua to succeed, Moses. And you think about the awesome responsibility of stepping in as the leader of ancient Israel. Assuming that mantle of leadership and leading the children of God into the promised land. That land that Moses said flows with milk and honey. God told Joshua in the long ago, he said, this book of the law, he said, you're to meditate on it day and night. He said, you are to observe, to do according to all that is written in it. And then he said, you will make your way prosperous. And he said, you will have good success. Note that. What's God saying to Joshua? Same thing he's saying to the children of Israel. You take my law, you integrate it into your life, you live it out on a daily basis, and what will will happen? You'll be blessed. You'll be prosperous. You'll be successful in life. Now, how many people in our world today want to be successful? The keys to success are found in God's word, right? What's God saying? God's saying, I'm going to bless you if you do what I say. It begins by fearing the Lord, respecting, reverencing his ways. It's also reflected in our fondness, our love for the Lord. And then we must be faithful to the Lord. So what he's saying to the children of Israel is this. Faithfulness is the key to prosperity. But now there's a second thing here. This is really important. Faithfulness is the key to our posterity. It's the key to our prosperity, but it's also the key to our posterity that is our descendants now you might ask the question how do you know that well just drop down and look at verse 18 in chapter 11 and listen to what Moses says to the children of Israel therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes he said you shall teach them diligently to your children speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. He said, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Why? That your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them. Like the days of the heavens above the earth. Now, I want you to think about something. Back in chapter 6, God, through Moses, told the children of Israel that they were to love him with all of their heart, soul, and mind. He said, these words, which I command you today, are to be in your heart. In verse 7, he said, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Verse 7. And again, talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Here's what God's saying to the children of Israel. Three keys to the prosperity of of your posterity. Number one, the one supreme love. That's love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. The one sovereign Lord. That is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And thirdly, that one satisfactory law. What he's saying is simply this. As a parent, we have the responsibility of passing the faith on to our children, right? You know what he's saying here? Now sometimes as parents, we do our best. We teach our children, we bring them to worship, we put them in Bible class, we do our best to lead them to the Lord. And as they get older in life, once they leave home, they're not under our rule, right? So they begin to make decisions on their own. Sometimes they make decisions which are decisions that if we had the choice to make, we wouldn't make. Sometimes they say things, they do things, they go places they shouldn't go. They were taught better, right? Yes. But, and by that, all I'm talking about is they have the freedom of choices in life as we do. But when they're under our roof... It's our responsibility to strive to the best of our ability to teach them God's ways. To lead by example. To educate them in the word of God so that they will know there is a God in heaven. You think about, think about Timothy. Timothy had the luxury of having a godly grandmother and a godly mother. And Paul in writing to Timothy said, look, I'm, I'm well aware of the genuine faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice. And he said, and I am persuaded is in you also. In chapter 3, verse 15, he said, and that from a baby, from infancy. He said, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Our children will not know the Lord if we as parents don't do our job. And what God is saying to the children of Israel is this. You as a parent have a responsibility. The key to your prosperity is faithfulness. The key to the future of your posterity is faithfulness. Staying with God. Now, look at the children of Israel. God had told them, here are the keys to success. Where does it begin? It begins in the home. Look at our nation today. Our country today is reeling because as a nation of people, we have the idea we know better than God. And we have excluded God from our lives. I mean, let's just be honest. God is not the focal point of the home. God is not what he ought to be in the schools. He's not what he ought to be in the the courthouses. He's not what he ought to be in the government. So what we as a nation of people have to understand is, if we want to be successful and prosperous, we've got to go back to God's ways. I want to give you a couple of passages very quickly. Look over in the book of Judges for a moment. In the book of Judges, in chapter 2, the writer chronicles... The children of Israel and their failure to heed the warnings set forth by Moses in the long ago. You remember, the writer talked about how the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Then look down in verse 10, so you got two generations of people faithful to God. Then in verse 10 he said, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose. After them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. How could that have ever happened? Could I tell you how? Mamas and daddies weren't doing their job. They weren't teaching and instructing their children in the law of God. And so what happened? They left the Lord. Didn't know anything about him. And so in Judges chapter 21, here's what the writer said. In those days there was no king in Israel. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In our country today, is that not where we are? Isn't it? Aren't we living in a day and time when people say, you know what, you want to do what you want to do, then do it. You want to live how you want to live, then live it. There are no absolutes. We're living in a day and time when people have said, basically, we know better than God. And because we know better than God, we haven't been teaching his word. We haven't been taking his word and integrating it into our lives. And as a result, chaos and mayhem. We got a mess on our hands. And the only way to rectify the mess is to go back, go back to the ways of God, to the will of God. I want to read one more scripture for you before we close sometimes we ask as parents what happens what happens to our posterity, our descendants if we're not what we ought to be well we were reading about the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapters 10 and 11 about to take possession of the land and over in Numbers chapter 14 you remember God had sent 12 spies out to survey the land. Ten of whom came back and gave an unfavorable report. Joshua and Caleb, however, they were faithful. And they recognized that they could go in and lay claim to the land. Unfortunately, the children of Israel believed the ten spies became disenchanted wanted to go back to Egypt. And Joshua pled with them. And God said down in, verse, down in verse 11, God said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I performed among them? He said, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. He said, I'll make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now you remember the story? Those twenty years old and above, were destined to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. But I want you to see what is recorded down in verse 31. He said, but your little ones whom you said would be victims, he said, I'll bring in. And they shall know the land which you have despised, but as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And then listen to verse 33. Verse 33. And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years. Now please listen. And bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. As a parent, if we're not faithful to God and if we're not what we ought to be, our children will reap the whirlwind from our actions. You want to live an unfaithful life? You want to just do what you want to do? Fail to put God first in your life? And let me tell you, every week I'm pleading sometimes with the same people. And there are parents that are not here today that ought to be here. There are some that ought to be here regularly and they're not here regularly. And what I'm trying to say to all of us and to myself included is this. If we're not what we ought to be, there's coming a day when we will regret it. If as parents we are unfaithful to God, our children will become unfaithful. And then when we step in front of the mirror and ask the question why, let me tell you what, we're looking at the answer. Last week when I finished my lesson, a brother met me in the hall. And he said, You stepped all over me today. And he said, I guess that's your job. But here's the sad part He didn't come back that night. He didn't come back that night. He's got children. Now you tell me, is there a disconnect? There's a disconnect. Please. Please. Listen to what God is saying. God's saying, here here are the keys to success. Bottom line is, it's your choice, it's my choice. So if you're here today, and your life is not what it ought to be, it's out of control. Let's just say you've never obeyed the gospel. You need to do that today. You need to do what they did in the first century, and that is simply to believe Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24, repent of your sins, confess his name, be baptized into Christ, so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. And then be faithful. Because you see, not only does your soul rest upon your faithfulness, but your children, they're counting on you to be faithful. Ever wondered, where will your children spend eternity? Look at your children. Where are they going to spend eternity? Are they going to heaven? Will they be in hell? In all probability, your children will be where you are one day. If you're weak, unfaithful, you live an ungodly life, and you lose your soul, let me tell you what, they're going to be right behind you in all probability. We can't afford to not get it right. The keys to success, be here. If you're unfaithful and you need to come home, the Bible tells us God will abundantly pardon, 1 John 1, 9, won't you come as we stand and sing?